Romans chapter 1. And I'm, I'm seeking I'm seeking to bring to you some simple I want you to have some rock solid footholds or handholds out of the book of Romans and so in all the in all the talk and study we've done so far I want you to have these two things unmistakably Romans 1, 16 and 17, and Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save. And I've told you also, part of salvation is a continuing transformation. And he'll give us that in the book of Romans as we go forward. But it's the power to save and transform, change us. Okay? Because the gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness. And I don't, I'm not saying the fact that God is righteous. The works of his hands, the universe would declare that. Creation would declare that. Any number of scriptures would declare that. God's the creator of all things. That would declare that. God is the instigator and the giver of life. He is the source of all life for every living thing. That would declare that. I'm not talking about the fact that God's righteousness. I'm talking about God's righteousness available. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Jews heard it first. It started with the Jews. That's chronological, geographical beginning. Okay? Okay. So very simply, the gospel, whatever the gospel is, I know you've got in your mind what it is. That's not the point right now. We're going to let the, he'll explain what he's talking about in the message of the gospel. He'll explain that. But the revelation of God's righteousness, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. For, that word means let me tell you why. Why, Paul? Why are you so eager to preach the gospel? Explain to us why the gospel is what has called you, sanctified you, set you apart, empowered you, changed you. Was there, does Paul know anything about personal change? Yeah. See anything, know anything about overcoming yourself? Yeah. Yeah, he does. 
Okay, I want you to get a hold of that fact. I want you to have a hold of that. God's power to save. And everything else he's got to say in this letter comes back to and undergirds what he said right here. That's why I'm telling you this is the theme of the letter. This is the theological information. This is the information about God delivered in this letter, which if the recipients can get a hold of it, all their problems are solved right here. Church in Rome doesn't have any problems. They've got buku of problems. We're going to step into it from chapter 12 to 15. There's lots of problems. Here's the answer. The other thing I want you to have nailed down God has always acted out of or on the basis of the cross. Now, why would I say that? I would say that because this is what Paul said. All of sin, this is 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Really? God presented him as a satisfying atonement. Through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because he left the sins committed beforehand. Beforehand? What do you mean beforehand? Beforehand what? Beforehand of this dispensation. Beforehand of Christianity. How far back does that go? In the beginning, God. Anything between in the beginning, God... And this message given to men, did anybody have relationship with God in that in those dispensations? Was anybody forgiven of sin? Did anybody have access to God? Did anybody find blessing from God? Mm-hmm. Lots of people. Lots of people. This is where I said, if you if you if you can let it, the Book of Romans will explain to you God's activity throughout Scripture. It will explain it to you. Did Abel really hold that much better of a worship service than Cain did? Really? By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. So it's competition. 
Worship is a competition. It's not his point at all, is it? What's his point? God accepted one. One brought understanding of God. One brought glory and honor to God. It's not that Cain wasn't in love. Cain was too in love. You know who he was in love with? Cain. That's it. First John, John would say, don't be a lover like Cain. In love with himself. What, what, what gives God the right to commend Abel's offering? It was because of what he offered. No, it wasn't. Well, it's not. If you kill a, man, if you kill a lamb, you're good. Just kill the critters and that solves it. That's not the point. Does what Abel offered reflect Abel's heart toward God? Mm-hmm. So that's it. All we got to do is if we just pour out our heart to God enough in worship, then we find salvation. No, there's an explanation here. He presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this. He did this. The cross is what I'm pointing out. He did this to demonstrate his justice. When does God have to be just? Always. Is God eternally just? Yeah. I say all the time because I'm talking to people who have to deal with time, and that's, I say that to make a point. Well, we should. That's true. But the point really is bigger than time. God's eternally just. That doesn't tell you how long God is just. That just tells you God's just, and he will never. See, there's another time word. He cannot be anything else. So God didn't capriciously, arbitrarily go, Abel, you did awesome. You did so awesome, I owe you something. Abel wasn't perfect, but God commended his sacrifice. Hmm. So God has always acted out of this in dealing with sinful people. How long has God been dealing with sinful people, by the way? Since Genesis 3, I mean, you had two chapters and everything's fine, right? And since chapter 3, who's God been dealing with? Sinners. And in regard to our terms from Romans, the unrighteous. Now think for just a second, what did, God, what did Adam and Eve have in the garden? Give me some things they had in the garden. Did y'all get this? Gain questions. Let me say this. Ask me questions about this. Two things, two footholds I want you to have. I know I've spoken really quickly. I'm sorry. I'll do that now and again. But I prayerfully prayerfully am trying to make this emphatically simple. I'm in love with the details of Romans because let, let me tell you, there are oodles and gobs in there. 
and it's specific forensic court issued court type language explanation of this right here all of it is so ask me questions any questions comments in regard to this okay I stalled just a minute there Bill to give you time to think of what Adam and Eve had in the garden before chapter you know three when they sinned So before they chose unrighteousness, before they chose to put on themselves the knowledge of good and evil, we can handle it, we can take it. Basically, we're the same as God. Before that, what'd they have? They had a personal fellowship with God and his presence. I like that kind of talk. Uh, how could you actually have pers- pers- how could you actually have fellowship that wasn't personal? Okay, a perfect paradise. Why would you say perfect paradise? Because of this. This is just a description of this. What did they lack? What did they have? You mean they had plenty of time and good jobs and even better insurance? What did they have? This word right here is huge. We'll spend the next 20 years talking about this word. What does this mean? Did they have eternity with God? Well, I can't say. I don't know. Maybe the answer to that, Jeff. If I do, I don't think I've ever... That I can remember, I'll probably be looking through my Bible and go, oh, you know, read the question again. I don't know if I've ever asked that question that I remember. Jeff's question is, did they have eternity with God? Now, I've got an answer because the answer is right here. What did they have? With who? What God? In regard to his question. The eternal God. There, there is no. So I don't know. Jeff? Yes, ma'am. They had what? They would have had perfection. Yes. What do you mean perfection, sister? No sin. No sin. So what did they have? Go back to Romans. What's our term in Romans for that? Righteousness. Righteousness. Oh. 
So they had, is, is, I mean, paradise. And see, here's the trick. Was it physical paradise? What in the world would kill you? What, what on planet Earth was against you? Nothing. Nothing. Because what in the physical world had not had any impact to a Roman's term? And he'll use the term, he'll use the term sin. I'm trying to develop in us this thought of sin is unrighteousness. In fact, it is, First John would say. And there's no getting around it in Romans. So what they had was righteousness, and as a result of righteousness, when we say they had paradise, what are you talking about? I mean, everything was just right, pun intended. The weather was just right. Their marriage was just right. No, it was too. Their mind was just right. Pun intended on all those. It either was or it wasn't. Was it or not? Was unrighteousness in the world? No. Uh Uh-uh. They had it. There was no thought of, of what did you say there to start with? I said, what? Separation. The, didn't you say that term? I said, keep God away. Okay. Keep God away. Separation. There's no, there's no thought of that. There's no actions that would result in that. Everything between them and God came from who? God. That's what it was. They didn't use terms like this. For those in the back, I've just written the word freedom on the board. They didn't use terms like freedom. Why? They didn't need to be free from anything. Because what were they? They were free. I mean, they were free. Think about that. Think about that. They were free because of what? What did they abide in? What abided with them? What, what were they? What did they enjoy? What, what guided them and blessed them and, and held them and motivated them and empowered them and drove them and, 
and satisfied them in righteousness all day, every day. What that brought them rest all night, every night. Righteousness. This is in every sense of the practical term paradise. It's not the it's not the cessation of human need. It's the fulfillment of it. Yes, ma'am. Oh. Hmm. So y'all got this? What was the difference? Could they see? Could they? What did it smell like in the Garden of Eden? Somebody dying? Well, I don't know that they had rain yet. But even God works curses into good things, doesn't he? I mean, roses still smelled like roses in the Garden of Eden. If you're a developer of non-smelling roses, please repent. If you're a propagator of them, then peace, I forgive you. But come on, could we get something that smells good? Think about this. I'm not ignoring Kim's question. Yes, sir. But God knowing all, he knew that they would say, he, that's why uh, he, there was no surprise to him, correct? You don't think he went, oops? <laughs> nope. Uh-oh. God doesn't say oops or uh-oh, does he? Who does that? Maybe we ought to quit. I mean, we didn't get it from God. Hmm. Yes, ma'am? I'm not sure what um, the difference in that perfection is because from God's point of view, from our point of view, we know what we've been saved from. Um, and Adam and Eve didn't have to, they didn't have to experience that. So in that were they respect, saved? Yes, they they weren't saved because they didn't have anything to be saved from. They weren't saved because why? Yeah, there's saved. nothing to be saved from. They didn't have freedom. Why? Because there's nothing to be freed from. Are they with God? Yes. Are they free? Yeah. But words like freedom and salvation don't have any even perfection. They didn't understand anything what, else. Right. So they didn't know. So I think in that way, and that's my answer to Kim, is that we have, we have an understanding of different, a different perspective than they did. What shades our understanding? Our experience. Okay, let's get real personal. What is it about our experience, our personal experience, that shades our understanding? Sin. Oh. 
We just couldn't take it. I mean, we human beings just couldn't take the knowledge of good and evil. The devil talked them into, maybe you know better than God. Mm -mm, Maybe you don't. Maybe God's trying to cheat you. No, maybe he's not. Because he's not. So what is the difference between righteousness in regard to it being their dwelling? Can I say that? I jumped ahead and I didn't mean to yet. But righteousness was their what? That's all they knew. It's where they lived. It is their dwelling. So that's a difference between them and Jesus also because he lived in an unrighteous world and he was trying to obey his father. He lived in an unrighteous world. How? He did, didn't he? He lived, he lived in a world marked by and cursed according to sin. But he lived, yes, sir. There's a connection. There's a connection between your love for God and righteousness. I'll say that because I can defend that. That's true. But now, what did Jesus do? Jesus lived in what? He did. In a sinful world, Jesus lived in what? He lived in righteousness. Whose righteousness was it? That's kind of a trick question. Whose righteousness was it? It was the Father's. It was God because God is what? Righteous. Righteous. And Jesus on planet Earth was what? So guess what they had? Righteousness. 
In the midst of a sinful world, guess what the father and the son had? Fellowship. What was their fellowship? What was it they had in common? What, were it, what was it that they were fellows in? Righteousness. Was it absent from the world? No. Was it absence for Jesus' life? All day, every day. It either it was or it wasn't. Now we're back to do you believe the scripture? Well, this is not an apologetics class, but if you need some proof that the scripture's true, 325-728-0965. I'll teach you everything I know. It'll cost you nothing. Scripture's either true or it's not. He was either tempted in every way like as we are, and yet was without sin, or he wasn't, and he was. He either shared in our humanity, or he did not, and he did. So what do you mean? More thoughts, more questions about this. Back to what, back to what uh, Don Vaughn said, did Adam and Eve enjoy the love of God in the garden? Until they, and then when they sinned, they found Separation. Separation from God, brothers and sisters, is separation from his love. Now, here's the trick thing. It's not really the trick, but here's something I don't want you to think. If you love God enough, we already established you couldn't make breakfast you couldn't make a sandwich, you couldn't make a salad, you couldn't make a cotton-picking bowl of cereal in regard to righteousness. So let, don't let the devil play this with you. If you loved God enough, you can't do anything enough because what is enough? They but one thing that's enough, righteousness. That's enough to be in fellowship with God, to enjoy God's love, to enjoy God's blessing, to know no separation with God, to be in fellowship with God. Kim's question is, what is the difference between the righteousness they had in the Garden of Eden and what we have today? They were able to dwell in righteousness. They lived in a world of righteousness. Their relationship with God took place in righteousness. In Jesus Christ, what is God trying to afford us? That same relationship. A what? What, right, what relationship did they have? Righteousness. Righteousness. 
In Christ Jesus, what is God trying to afford us? Righteousness. That's what he's trying to afford us. Has God ever afforded anybody on the planet righteousness? Mm-hmm. Before the cross occurred in history, did God ever afford anybody righteousness? Yeah, Abraham, he accredited it as righteousness. Paul's fixing to pull up two examples, both of guess, both of which happen to be guess what? Jewish. Because primarily the rejection of the message of this gospel is going to be from Jewish Christians. And Paul said, I got two examples of what I just said. God has always acted on the justice that took place right here. Because since the garden, what have men committed and been enslaved to? Unrighteousness. And God can't play that. He can't fellowship that. He can't bless that. He can forgive it. How to do that? Right here. The reason Abraham was God's friend, the reason, as the scripture said, Abraham believed God and it, his, his trusting in God. Not an academic acknowledgement that God existed. Everybody on the planet knew that. No, his trust in God, his trust in God's love, his trust in God's power, his trust in God's promise. Abraham was fully persuaded God had power to do what he'd promised. And God credited Abraham with, guess what? Righteousness. No, he did too. So Abraham and God, if Abraham is righteous, what do Abraham and God have? And in the midst of a earth, earth that's cursed, where foreign kings take captive your family, where people are against you, where people curse you, where people oppose you, or your own sin gets in your way all the time, what has God granted Abraham? What on earth proof does Abraham have of that? He didn't have the book of Romans to read. Who said anything to Abraham about righteousness. And I don't even know if he declared those words to Abraham, but off the top of my head, but he kept doing things and telling Abraham things, I will be your I will be your protector. I'm going to provide. I'm going to lead. I'm going to guide. Nobody's going to defeat you. I'm going to work my purpose in you. God kept saying things and doing things to declare to Abraham that Abraham and God were what? In relationship. Necessarily then, 
Abraham knew there's nothing wrong between me and God. How did he know that? God said so. Consider those things, Lord willing, tonight we'll take up with Abraham and David. Peace. I love you guys. Thanks for your attention.